America is in an hour of decision. That's true for moms with school kids, for politicians, and for working people with traditional values throughout the country who've been greatly affected by the endless wars, the deindustrialization of America, and the collapse of its borders. Who will speak up? Who will run? And who will fight? Endless wars we didn't win have a cost beyond dollars, beyond calculation. Oh, and by the way, we're broke, but they just keep printing the money. It is poor over our borders. America's industry has mostly been shipped overseas. And now they're coming for our farms. The news, too often fake. The elections, too often stolen. Our kids, too often brainwashed. And now, too often mutilated. Foreign enemies poison us, corrupt our leaders, and plan our demise. There was a pandemic of lies and bribes. How many loved ones died and died alone because institutions fell into line? Who will be next to die suddenly? The great replacement, it's well underway. An enemy is among us, replacing our love of country, our values, our heroes, our freedoms. This cancerous evil will replace our entire civilization and the descendants of the people who created it, if we let them. Is it too late? The American spirit still lives, so the answer is no. America can still become the new Jerusalem of endless possibilities and boundless creativity, inspired by heroes of the past. Our forefathers' struggle for freedom seemed hopeless, but they were blessed by God. We will be too, if like them, we choose to fight. But it is midnight in America, and this is the hour of decision. My name is Lou Moore. Tonight, we have a Congress problem, and term limits won't solve it. Let's talk about Congress. Congress is a real problem. Today, they're voting on giving Ukraine and Israel a ton of money and not even addressing the border after they promised they would. When they, when they made the move to address the border, they were going to legalize uh, 5,000 5, people coming in a day that don't belong in this country and kind of institutionalize that. And that was only the first problem with the uh, border proposal they did put together. But anyway, we're not talking about the border tonight. We're talking about the overall problem of Congress and what can we do about it. So there is a populist revolt going on in America. The two biggest examples of that that I've cited before is the incredible comeback once again of Donald J. Trump, who looks poised to become our 47th president despite every obstacle in the world being put in his way prevent that. And the other biggest example, I would argue, is what's going on in the school boards across America uh, with groups like Moms for Liberty, one of my favorite organizations, because they teach their members to confront, confront evil, not try to figure out a way to make everybody happy and just make a few reforms around the edges. Not a good idea. Anyway, 
that's the other example, uh, is what's happening with the school boards. Hundreds of school boards changing hands or getting new confrontational members elected to the board, and audiences full of parents reading this pornography back to these people who have put it in our schools that are sitting around the dais at these school board meetings. So those are the two big examples. Where there is not a big example is in the Congress of the United States. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. But before we do, uh, I mentioned the other day, in, in actually the first episode, a lot of items, a lot of so-called solutions that I called shiny objects, misdirection plays, a waste of your time, not the right answer to our problem or moving us in the right direction. And I neglected to put on that list one of my least favorites, which is term limits. Term limits is supposed to solve all of our problems because these members of Congress go back there to Washington, D.C., and they're great people. They're your best friends. Uh, they're happy, shiny folks who are small business people in your community or trusted elected officials. Not even quite sure about that one. But uh, then they go back to Washington, D.C., and slowly but surely, they become corrupted by the deep state, by special interest groups. And so then they're no longer reliable. And the answer to that is supposed to be term limits. Uh, Twelve years, six years is the more severe version of term limits. The problem with that is it's not true. It's not true. And the solution, the problem is not, that's not a right depiction of the problem. And the solution is not being depicted properly because switching out politicians every few years doesn't fix the problem that we have with Congress. So what, so I'll go a little further with term limits. When you enact term limits, you do guarantee that say you have them for Congress and that the member of Congress will only be able to run three times successfully, and then they have to move on. We've already seen this in the legislature. What they do, it, it just it sets up a musical chairs kind of thing. I mean, somebody wants to be a career politician, you ain't stopping them with term limits. Uh, that's the first thing. Second thing is, don't tell me who to vote for. If Ron Paul was my congressman, I'd be a little irritated if that was the moment that uh, term limits was enacted and I wouldn't have been able to vote for him again or for Thomas Massey or, for that matter, for Matt Gates, in my opinion, uh, Andy Biggs or Eli Crane or Paul Gosar, all people who I would be very happy if they were in my district and I would be delighted to vote for them four, five, six, seven, eight times or however many ter turns, uh, however many elections they uh, are willing to take on assuming they don't change. And, uh, you know, I was there in 1994, the big Republican takeover of the Congress, Newt Gingrich contract for America. I was working for a man by the name of Jack Metcalf, who I have to say was a big believer in term limits himself. But uh, what I saw was a lot of these guys, uh, it didn't take them six years to become corrupt. Some of them were willing to be corrupt in about five minutes and, and two months into their first term in the beginning of their second term. Uh, a lot of them certainly by their third term. They were old old hands, insiders, one of the good old boys. I'm telling you right now, a six-year limit did nothing to corrupt a lot of the uh, class of 94, that 110 freshmen, I believe it was, 
uh, who uh, took office. It wasn't that many. How many was it? 56? You know, I'm forgetting now. Anyway, it was a large, a large freshman class uh, into the Congress that was elected in 1994, took office in 95. And term limits uh, wouldn't have done a dang thing for those people. Uh, secondly, we've allowed a government to grow so big, so complex, so immense in its unconstitutional powers and opportunities for corruption uh, with all of the money they're handing out uh, in every conceivable way to every conceivable group that you need people who have an understanding, an understanding that cannot be taught in some campaign training school as if they were teaching anything like that in campaign training schools, which they are not. You cannot have people get elected and get their arms around this thing and become effective in one or two, I mean, I would even argue in some cases three terms, depending on what issues you're talking about. And so that, that, that's a problem, period. I mean, it's the same problem, you know, why they can't read the budget. I mean, these guys say, well, I read the bill and everything. Not reading <laughs> these bills. They're, they're so long, and you know, the first paragraph usually has a reference of five or six or seven or eight other pieces of legislation because, again, this thing has gotten damn complicated, very intricate. And so it's a lot. There's a lot going on back there. It's a lot, a lot to try to have oversight over. There's a lot to, to hurt up and hopefully fix. And so people who are doing a good job, you don't want to take them off the job just when they're beginning to figure this thing out, which leads me to the issue of staff. You know, staff is always the, the butt of jokes. I hate this, having been a staffer for several different people. You're at a fundraiser or something, and the, the politician gets up and says, well, I would, I would tell you about this, and my staff won't let me. And then, you know, they're looking at you, and then everybody's glaring at you like, why aren't you letting him tell us about this? And, you know, it's just a device these guys use all the time. And, you know, they all have a staff. Anybody, anybody, by the time you're running for Congress, just running for Congress, you have a staff or else you're not a serious person. And, uh, and so uh, members of Congress have staffs and you can live and you basically do live or die by the staff, how effective they are, what they're calling your attention to, who they make sure you see, uh, what issues they make sure you see. Uh, they're a very important part of this equation, and that's great. But uh, if you have a neophyte who has been convinced uh, by a bunch of donors to get very experienced staff around them, you got a super big problem, a big problem you see played out every day. Because these, these career staffers, you know, they are looking for their next move. And their next move might be to become a Pfizer lobbyist or something wonderful like that or to move up uh, the chairs and not work for some freshman schlep that doesn't have a clue what he's doing, but they might want to work for a member of the leadership, something like that. Go up to uh, move up the chairs as a staffer. And so, you know, this is, this is its own problem, its own set of problems, but you don't want the people you elect to be any more staff dependent than is already, unfortunately, necessary. And term limits guarantees you're going to have people that you elect that are more staff dependent than they should be. And yeah, I mean, this is such a conundrum. Uh, my old boss, Jack Medcalf, he didn't want to fall into this trap. So he got elected in 94 and a staff was selected and he brought in somebody who had, I, 
ton of experience in Washington, D.C., uh, who had actually worked for presidents, uh, had been in the White House, and but was retired and just wanted to help him. And, and he helped select people like me to run this staff. But I looked around when I became chief of staff six months in, when this gentleman departed, and uh, there wasn't a single person on this staff that had really any experience working in the Congress. That's not good. So I had to deliberately pick an insider type, somebody playing the career game back there, because of the mechanics of bills and for various reasons. But he was the only one on our staff, which was, I believe, at that time, about 15 folks. And so, you know, it's a problem. And any way you approach this, it's a problem. Uh, the good news is, is we're beginning to get more and more staffer types uh, back in Washington, D.C., or wanting to go to Washington, D.C., who are America First Patriots. Thank goodness. But there's not nearly enough of them, and there's still many opportunities for corruption, for distraction, things like that. Anyway, my major point here, I, I digressed for a moment, but is that term limits just increases this problem that we already have. So for that reason, it's bad. You're telling people who they can vote for. That's bad. Uh, you're doing something procedurally to fix a problem that's not a procedural problem. The problem is the corruption of America that has been caused by the institution of big government and by the insidious enemies of our republic that brought us the big government. That's the problem. The problem is not the fact that uh, a congressman has been there five terms. Now, yes, yeah, some of them get more and more comfortable when they're back there and they get more connections, they get more corrupt. I, I get that. But seriously, it doesn't take three terms for your member of Congress to get corrupted. But you might not know it because he's still talking all the happy things to you when he comes back to the district for that exceedingly long weekend they get every almost every weekend. They're back in D.C. So term limits is not the answer to the hungerous problem we have. So what, what, what is the biggest problem we have right now? The biggest problem, in my opinion, is we're in the midst of a populist revolt. More people are waking up all the time to what is going on in this country, what, as I elaborated on in the extended open that we had for this show tonight. And, uh, and they're very focused on the president, on the presidency. And they're sending tons and tons and tons of small donations to, to Donald Trump. And many parents are very focused on what's going on at the school board level because their kids are involved or their grandkids are involved or it's local and people are getting aroused and are waking up to what's going on with the curriculum and what's going on with too many of these teachers uh, grooming our children in the public schools. But Congress is in the middle. Uh, Congress is not covered. What your congressman does every day isn't on your local 5 o'clock news, which is probably a terrible place for you to get your news. It's usually very superficial. And now about as corrupted ideologically as the national news is. So uh, you don't have, uh, and you don't, the, the blogosphere as it used to be called, boy, that, even that dates me, doesn't it? But uh, the internet, the people on the internet, that are watching what's going on in Washington, D.C., the big power moves, the immigration bill, the budget. Uh, what did Donald Trump do today? What happened with the lawfare with Donald Trump? These people are not focusing on what your member is doing of Congress. Pretty sure of that. 
And if somebody is focused on it, they don't have a very large audience. So this right there, this, this creates a big problem. Now add on to that problem. Your member of Congress is not playing in the Bush leagues anymore. You know, their school board, their city council, and their state legislative seats. You know, it depends how big your state is, how big of a deal that is. But by the time you get to, and when I say big deal, I'm talking about big money people, powerful people looking at that office, you know, the amount of money you have to spend to get that office. But when you, I, I generally tell people the first step into the big leagues is when you decide you want to run for Congress. Because I just mentioned, you have to have a staff. You got to have specialists around you uh, to even do this. Secondly, you're going to be spending a lot of money unless this thing is just being handed to you, an open seat, and you don't have a big primary or something. Uh, you know, a million dollars is nothing now for a congressional seat. It's terrible. But the, because it's expensive and because not a lot of people in the general public are paying attention to this, whose playground does this become? It's a special interest, 100%. And so as soon as you begin running for Congress, you figure out pretty quick, I don't know if I really want to piss off all these different special interests that seem so concerned about this race because, golly, I need their money to get elected. And there's a element of rationalization to this, for sure. Oh, gee, I, you know, I'd love to be a virtuous candidate and member of Congress, but, golly, I can only win and get my message out if I sell out on five or six things. But it's also true. It's also true that you cannot, in many cases, win unless you have a lot of money, unless you have an organized grassroots army around you. And, of course, that is the answer. The precinct strategy that we've talked about earlier, uh, building the party up locally, uh, building your own brand up, getting the word out, using email, using text, using the Internet, and using what they call earned media, if you can, Channel 5 News or whatever, if you can, God bless you. That is, that's what counteracts that big money. This is what happened with Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump's a bazillionaire, but he didn't buy his way into the White House the first time, or is he now? I mean, the amounts of money his opponents are spending and have spent dwarf the expenditure he's made because he had a grassroots army uh, behind him. So, you know, that's the answer. That is the answer to the Congress problem we have. But that's, it's not an easy answer. And, uh, and this goes for the Senate, too. Maybe not quite as much. There is more attention paid to senators uh, normally than members of Congress, but it's still a big, big, big problem. The focus being on national politics, national issues, and therefore the presidency, nationwide issues, I should say, and, uh, and less attention paid on the Senate and less attention yet on the Congress. And so you got back in Washington, D.C., even though we're in the era of Donald Trump and state after state, 60, 70, 80 percent of the people are in support of 45. Members of Congress can slither around and do their uh, black magic behind the scenes and take a vote here or there and broadcast it when they already arranged with leadership to take that vote because it really doesn't matter because they'll be there for the leadership on some other bill and that you that you probably wouldn't like their vote so much. And, you know, all kind of games are played. It's a dark art in the legislature, whether it's a state legislature or Congress. And I'm not kind of omitting state legislatures 
in many ways are even more important, but maybe we'll take them up separately at another time. But what, what I'm saying applies to the Congress, and it also applies to legislative seats in larger states that are getting more and more expensive. So sunlight is the best disinfectant, as they say, and grassroots action is the, is the best counteracting of the special interest money coming in to pollute the process. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about you're going to run for Congress. So you decide to run for Congress, and you have a little bit of name ID in your district because you're a famous business person in your district, you're well-known, because you are a state legislator, uh, because your last name is the name of somebody who founded your state or whatever. You have some reason that you believe you can get elected. Then you got to go, <clears throat> you got to recruit people around you, be your campaign manager, your treasurer, uh, your press secretary, your field director, or, you know, however it's, however it's developed. And then you got to have a lot more people in that as you get closer to the general election or to the primary, if you're in a state like Utah, where the primary pretty much is the general election in most districts. And uh, then, you know, you announce, and then you are assaulted by special interest groups, sending you questionnaires. How do you stand on this? What about that? Hundreds and hundreds of people. As soon as they, particularly if they think you seriously have a chance to get that seat, they're all over you. And so it's hard to even focus. There's so much attention being put on you by special interests. So, so you have that issue. And then, oh, guess what? You got to raise a million and a half dollars to, because even though a ton of us now get our news from places we choose to get our news from on the internet, there is still a lot of people, normies, is that the term, right term? They still got to click on the news at five o'clock and some guy with a blow dried hairdo is reading from a teleprompter and it's left leaning, but not too much usually, but it's listing to the left. It's, you know, they're not getting good information and they're not even covering these races until unless there's some scandal breaks out or some particular vote that really grabs the attention of the public or it's getting very close to the election, they're not even covering you. But anyway, you need to get on these stations, on news broadcasts in particular, because people who watch the news generally do vote, even if they're stupid people that don't know anything. you, you got to put a television advertisement on that station. And then a lot of other places on that station, and now with channel diffusion all through, you know, the 5,000 cable channels, you got to sort through that. you got to put money there. you got to put money on radio. Uh, you got to send emails, you got to send texts, and and then you have to somehow figure out a buy on a web buy, you know, using Google and Facebook primarily. I just, I'm almost going to vomit here. And uh, this is expensive, and not to mention that staff, not to mention signs, uh, not to mention fundraisers, where you need to bring the people that like to come to these things just to see all the other people that come to these things and let them all rub shoulders and hopefully give you a couple hundred bucks. But, you know, it's a $35 a plate rubber chicken dinner. And anyway, it's all, stuff's all expensive. costs a lot of money. And so that, again, this is the problem. It's an expensive process. And from day one, you are tempted to compromise your principles. Or at minimum, you may, you may rationalize you're not compromising your principles, but compromising your views, supposedly reflective of your principles uh, on the issues. 
So that is what people go through when they run for Congress. Now, can people do it and keep their uh, wits about them and keep their principles? Yes. But how many in the Republican conference are in that category? I would suggest not very many. I mean, I, I, I'm seeing that we got about half the conference, about 110, will come the right way if it's not too painful and if enough pressure is put on them by people like you. And then the other half will also come along if their career is in jeopardy, but otherwise probably not. So this gets to the last element of the Congress problem. I talked a little bit about the fact we need grassroots focus, grassroots attention, grassroots type candidates that have an organization behind them. The other part of this is putting the heat. If you don't see the light, give them the heat. And that that hopefully will be coming from two directions before too long. Right now, it's coming from you, from the grassroots, from shows like War Room and Charlie Kirk and other shows where there's a very focused effort to, you know, call 800 blah, 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 and tell your congressman he better not vote for H.R. 17 or else. That's good. That's the biggest weapon we have right now, uh, particularly when we're looking at the border, when we're looking at going bankrupt because of the spending, and we're looking at all these uh, commitments overseas of a dubious nature. So we have that weapon right now. It's a little late to decide you're going to run for Congress, but you might look around and see if there's somebody running already that needs your support. And then the, the, the next element, hopefully, and the most important one, is leadership that puts the heat from the top down on these people, and that would be hopefully coming from President Donald J. Trump. I mean, I saw this even in, as I mentioned earlier, was around when Newt Gingrich took over, a big deal when the Republicans finally took over Congress in the election of 1994. There were incumbent members of Congress who were in no way even conservative that were suddenly singing from the same music sheet as Newt. Now, Newt was not perfect, not even good a lot of times. But he did create a paradigm shift of some level among members of Congress in Washington, D.C. And he was the Speaker of the House. When you're the president and you have the bully pulpit of the presidency and you have the ability to get on TV and really direct the heat at members of Congress, things, good things can happen. So I'm hoping, hoping that will be one of the solutions to what I'm calling the Congress problem that we have right now. But it's a big problem. I think you can see that. So let's talk now a little bit more about uh, the party. We, we, I talked about why the two-party system is what it is. Third party is not a good idea. That you need to get active at the precinct level in the Republican Party. So let's talk about parties now a little bit uh, in relationship to Congress. And one of the first things uh, that I didn't mention when I talked about third parties is, you know, the, there is, Congress is organized around a Speaker of the House, the Senate, around a majority leader. So you need to have a majority to elect that person. And, you know, if you have a third party where you end up with about 35 good people elected and the rest of them are terrible and they're in the party you abandoned, uh, guess what? You're not likely to be running the, running the Congress, deciding what bills come to the floor. There's so much power, so much power in the leadership. Yeah, Congress is based 
on leadership. It's not based on 435 people running around doing whatever they want to do. It's a very top-down situation. I'm not saying that's good, but that's how it is. And it has to be that way to a degree because there are so many people. And in the Senate, yeah, it's not quite as top-down, but it's basically the same kind of deal where they, they pick a majority leader. And uh, so this does not lend itself to third parties. Uh, and, uh, but it, and it also is a reason why you might... Depending on your situation, you might want to vote for somebody who's pretty terrible, maybe even work for them, if it's really going to make a difference who is going to become the leader of the House of Representatives or the majority leader in the Senate, or if the Republicans get a majority. We do not want the Democrats to have a majority in the next Congress, and their first act is to not allow Donald Trump to become president of the United States because he's an insurrectionist. You know, I don't know how that drama is going to play out, but we don't want to go there. We want a Republican majority. We want to fight in the primaries as hard as we can to get the right kind of people lined up to become members of the House or senators. But I'm telling you, it does make a difference which party in this day and age, today, it does make a difference which party, even with Mitch McConnell, it does make a difference. It pains me to say that. But it makes a difference which party controls uh, the House and the Senate. That's also true at the state level, any level where there's legislatures like that. So uh, you need to think about that. I, I, uh, I am not advocating running out and getting all excited about some sellout rhino, internationalist, globalist, member of Congress, because you're hoping to get somebody better than Speaker Johnson as the Speaker of the House next time. But Speaker Johnson is way, way, way the hell better than Hakeem Jeffries, I'm just going to tell you right now. So we're playing this game on many levels. We have to get a lot more serious than we are right now as a country. And I do, you know, I'm all for Donald Trump, 100%. But he's not the final answer by any means. But, uh, you know, we need some help. Uh, We need to put the brakes on the Great Reset or whatever you want to call it that we're going through right now. And so all these issues are serious. You know, I'm not going to say donate money, donate your time to some sellout congressman. I am saying donate money, donate time for somebody that you think will actually do good back there and represent you. But at the end of the day, you do have to think about who's controlling the House and who's controlling the Senate. And with some of these people, this is like the only decent vote they take, unfortunately. But, uh, but uh, that, that is kind of how that rolls. So just a little bit more about the relationship between the House and the Senate and the Republican Party. So the RNC, which we talked about last time, is the governing body, the national RNC of the party. Uh, They're elected by state leaders, state leaders elected by county leaders, county leaders elected by precinct uh, committee officers or precinct captains or whatever they're called in your state. So, but the RNC, as far as uh, uh, electoral politics, uh, their focus is on the presidency. Uh, They're supposed to help Uh, in this case, Donald Trump become, again, president of the United States. This is why it's so critical to get rid of Rana and to get some better leadership uh, in the National Party. But to elect members of Congress and to elect senators, uh, there are organizations that are affiliated 
with the RNC, but they actually come from the leadership of the House and the Senate. So in the House, you have the NRCC, the National Republican Congressional Committee, and in the Senate, you have the National Republican Senatorial Committee. You also have a governor's association, but we weren't going to talk about today. So, uh, so in the Senate right now, Republicans, you have Steve Daines, who is going around the country recruiting the worst possible candidates in most cases because he's trying to recruit as many rhinos as possible uh, to fill the ranks underneath him and underneath Mitch McConnell. But anyway, that's one of the jobs these organizations have is to recruit candidates. So this uh, right there, pretty powerful. You can run a candidate not recruited by the NRCC or the National Senate. You can say it. I just said it to make Anyway, the Senate Campaign Committee. And uh, I did this myself. I have done this myself and been successful. And when I worked for Congressman Metcalf, he was not the choice of the party establishment right down to the county level, but we got him in. But uh, they are powerful that way and, and, and steering special interest money to their chosen candidates, also steering specialists, although many times this is a corrupt deal. And the specialists, when I mean specialists, pollsters, campaign staff, strategists, uh, a lot of times these guys are terrible and they're living off of these recommendations they get from the NRCC or the Senate committee. But, uh, you know, they do that uh, and, and they, they can't play a big role in electing somebody or in thwarting you from electing somebody because they have been controlled by the party leadership. But when we control the party, the party leadership in the House and the Senate, then they could be very powerful tools for us, they are not right now. But so they're connected to the RNC. They are Republican Party organizations. They're very important, but they are, and their job is to elect the final Republican, final general election candidates for the House and the Senate. And, but uh, that's what, that's who they are. That's what they do. Don't give them any money. Not at this point. So that's the relationship with the party, with the Republican Party. And again, get active at the precinct level. I can't say it strongly enough. It is critical that you get involved at the precinct level and make your influence, make your voice heard to save this country. So we have a Congress problem. Term limits is not the answer. Getting more power within the Republican Party is part of the answer, but that pertains more to the White House than it does to the House or the Senate. We're going to talk more about ideas that are not really helpful, like term limits that activists can get distracted with. We're going to talk about state legislators. We're going to talk about how to work with your elected officials in future episodes. This is the Hour of Decision. My name is Lou Moore. Hour of Decision is on News for America at News for America. Dot org. Thank you so much. See you later.